morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Andy Hines, and, and um, I'm going to be talking about the Gospel of Mark. And I want to dig into some uh, very important points that I have found. I love the Gospel of Mark. It's my favorite gospel. And uh, before I get started, though, I want to read some information about it uh, from Jack Hayford's Spirit-Filled Study Bible. Um, he brings up some great points about Mark. Um, he said the persecuted church was uh, being, uh, Nero was causing problems in hanging children or Christians and, and burning them at the stake and so forth. They were living under the constant threat of death, and that's when Mark wrote this gospel. Um, he places little emphasis on the Jewish laws and customs, and when he does, he mentions them. He always interprets them for the reader. So he gives us, uh, tells us what he's going to do and then he interprets it. But there's four points here I wanted to make that I think Hayford makes that are really good. Mark leads us to Jesus and where we can discover meaning and hope in suffering, find faith when we are in need and experience the signs and miracles that are accompanied his ministry and the ministries of the apostles. Uh, Mark is a lot of it's a lot of action. There's a lot of things going on, and what we want to do is look and see what are the what are the main themes of these actions. Um, one of the overall themes is suffering and discipleship. Mark wants us to draw encouragement and strength from the way Jesus lived. Um, one of the prayers that I have when I work with Mark uh, is I ask the Lord to, to let me see what's going on in the event that I'm reading about. Um, faith in distressing situation. Mark underscores the need for faith in the person, message, and power of Jesus to help us when we are in need. Um, so we see faith in operation in here in, in an amazing way. And um, the, the last point that he brings up is there's signs following. There's a lot of signs. There's a lot of miracles. And we want to look at a lot of the interesting things. Uh, I've got my little note card here, so I may refer to some notes in here. But let's look at Mark chapter 1. And in the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. Now, I will be reading from the modern English version, which is one of my favorite. It's just easy to read translations. So yours may read a little bit different, but we'll, uh, we'll get through this. Um, the first three chapters of Mark show clearly what happens when you walk, minister, and teach within the framework of what you are called to do. Um, are you going to trust the Lord when tough decisions are at hand, or you try to figure it out on your own? This is one of the things that we're going to look through here in chapter 1. You're going to find out uh, about the calling, how it is to walk in your calling. Like I said here, what happens when you walk, minister, and teach within the framework of what you are called? So, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has written in the prophets, Look, I am sending my messenger before your face, now that's John the baptized, John the baptizer, who will prepare your way before you. This was John's job. Now we'll see later, that John knew that. John knew what he was called to do. He was full of the Holy Spirit from the time he was born. Uh, and, and eventually his whole family, uh, Elizabeth, 
and Zechariah, all of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, John's job is to prepare the way for Jesus. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his signs straight, his path straight. Verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Several questions that I've asked about this. Well, number one, um, how did they know to be baptized? What were they being baptized for? What was the because Jesus hadn't died yet? What's the purpose of the baptism that they were going through? And there's a key here that John came baptizing in the wilderness. Uh, what is the wilderness? Uh, we'll see that in a little bit about Jesus. But what is the wilderness? Um, where was he at? What was and, and there's a significance to the wilderness. That's where all the wild animals are. And you'll see that later on in Jesus' uh, verses, that the wild animals are there. Um, that's not where the, where, the, where the houses and the villages are. He's out in the wilderness. Go on and look at this. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. The whole region of Judea... And all the people of Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. The, one of the interesting parts about this is, what drew those people out there? What was it that this, this man, who, who um, uh, we see that John was clothed with camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, he ate locusts and wild honey, he preached, saying, After me is coming one mightier than I, the straps of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what is it about this guy that's drawing this kind of people out there? Um, I heard one writer say the only thing that smelled worse than a camel hair coat was a wet camel hair coat. And John is not, um, he's not the elite. He's not middle class, upper class elite. He's just a, a, a wild man out in the desert, out in the wilderness, uh, preaching. But he's anointed by God, and so something's happening and all these people are getting drawn out there. Now, while he's doing that, an interesting thing happens. Go down to verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Coming up out of the water, he immediately saw the heavens open and the, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, the interesting thing about this is, and, and, and there's a lot happened right here, Jesus is modeling for us what we need to do to be successful. Uh, to, to, to engage God and go where God's asked us to go and to be able to hear Him. He's modeling this. First thing we do, He gets born again. That's the baptism, go down in the water, come up, the being raised to new life. Number two, He's baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drops on Him in such a way that John sees it. We'll, we, you can see that in, I think it's Luke and Matthew, that it says he saw, he saw the, the, the Spirit descend like a dove on him. Now, 
the voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. What does that say about Jesus? Well, it says, obviously, uh, He's God's Son and God loves Him. But it tells us, if you turn to, to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to, I want you to, to look at this because this is critical that we understand this about Jesus. I think it's interesting that Mark puts this in the front of his gospel uh, so that we can understand this. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And in verse 6, it says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 11. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This tells us that Jesus operated in faith. Now, uh, when you ask a lot of people, why does Jesus do what he did? Well, he was the Son of God. Of course he was God. But he, set us, he, he operated on earth. He's all God, all man. He operated on earth as a man that was led by the Holy Spirit. This shows us that we can do the same thing. He's operating in a way that we, that we should operate. Now, if you put this in terms of baseball, how do we do that, you say? Well, um, the, the, the last person uh, to hit over 400 was over 60 years ago, around 60 years ago. Ted Williams did it, and I think he hit 402 or 406. I don't remember the number, but anyway... Uh, the closest anybody's come to that since then, I think, was George Brett hit 397 one year. Now, the thing is, Ted Williams didn't go up to the plate and say, I'm going to try to get hit 400, because if he'd have done that, he'd only hit 250. He was trying to hit 1,000. Every time he goes up, he's trying to hit 1,000. Well, Jesus, whenever he had an opportunity to use faith, he, hit a, he, hit, he got a hit. He never missed, so he batted 1,000. And although we're not going to bat a thousand, we aim at a thousand because we don't want to aim lower. If we aim lower, you never hit what you're aiming at. You always hit a little bit lower when it comes to baseball. So just keep that in mind that Jesus operates in faith. And back to our definition of faith, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So there's a lot of things that Jesus did that he was doing because he heard it from the Father but he hoped it was going to work because uh, he had evidence of things not seen. He didn't see them, but he had hope for them. And because God told him to do it, God told him uh, to go see this guy and lay hands on him and, and go here and go there. And you'll see that in Mark, uh, how Jesus, how the Lord spoke to him about that. But just please keep that in mind. It's a critical point. Mark chapter 1, verse 11, is that Jesus operated in faith and he shows you and I how to do it. Now, if we go up to verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan and was with the wild beast and the angels ministered to him. Well, 
he was there in the wilderness for 40 days. Again, what's the wilderness? It's, it's, a, uh, it, it's a place where uh, water is scarce. Um, you know, it's cold at night, hot during the day. There's a lot, and it's just not a nice place to be, especially if you're by yourself. But it's interesting. Um, if you look at this, he was there in the wilderness, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts. Who are the wild beasts? What are the wild beasts that he had to 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 deal with? Um, well, I think you'll find out that serpents and scorpions are there, and I think that Satan and all of his angels were there. Uh, I think they were there watching him, just looking for an opportunity. And you, you see that later on. I think it's in Luke where after after the temptation, it says Satan left for a more opportune time and, and, and uh, he never found one. But anyway, uh, this is where Satan has his best shot. And while he's there, it says the angels ministered to him. Now, an interesting question about that is... What were the angels doing? When it says they ministered to him, what did they do? Well, they didn't give him food. Um, I don't know what they did. I don't know what that means, ministered to. It means they provided for him. I don't know what they did. They were there uh, dealing with, with uh, uh, Satan's angels. I don't know. But it's a fascinating question, and it's one that I have enjoy looking into. And every now and then I'll run across something that I'll read and and um, it'll take me back to this, and I wonder what angels are doing. Um, I've never, you know, a lot of people see angels. They're here. Got angels in this room even as we speak. There's angels where you are even as we speak. I don't know. I've never seen one. Now, I have encountered angels, and I know I've encountered angels, but I've never seen one, so I don't have, I've not had this, I've never felt the need to ask God to let me see angels. I know other people have, and other people have seen angels. I've just never felt the need to do that. But I wonder, and I ask myself, what were the angels ministering to him? And so, uh, uh, perhaps as we go down the road, the Lord will, uh, will open that up to us a little bit more. Now, so the, the interesting part about this, in verse 12, it says, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Now, the word drove means compelled. It wasn't that, that Jesus was resisting this, but if you'll notice, right after he gets saved, he models getting saved. He didn't have to be, but he showed us what to do. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, then he has to encounter the desert. And in the desert, uh, as we know from that experience, Satan attacks him with all kinds of things. And it's interesting that he waits until, say, until the end of the time to attack him when he was at his weakest point. But um, the compelling by the Holy Spirit is the third part of why Jesus was successful. He got saved. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. We know he operated in faith, so that would be the third thing. The fourth thing here, he went into the wilderness to confront the enemy. Now, you and I have wildernesses. Jesus didn't need to do that. He did it to model for us. So as he went in to the wilderness uh, and went into the desert and, and, and dealt with Satan, he showed us how to do it. He modeled how to do it. Now, while he was in the desert, I believe he heard what he was called to do. I think that's where he, he got the, 
the, the word from the Lord that this is what it is you're going to do. And I'll, I'll leave you with a uh, point you real quick to Luke chapter 4. I believe it's verse 16. Jesus, uh, no, it's actually verse 18. Uh, he said, He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel before to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to pre preach deliverance to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the, of the Lord. Then... He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Now, I believe, I, I believe and there, there's good evidence of this by the way Jesus walks in Mark, and we can, we can, uh, we'll track this later on, but I believe there's good evidence that Jesus learned what he was to do, and he learned that while he was in this desert experience. Um, now, verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Well, it's interesting uh, if we looked at the map, and, and um, we will show you a map on this later on, but as you look at the map, if you look, uh, Jesus is down in, uh, down in the south end of, uh, of this thing, of the area that he's at, and he has to go to Galilee says he goes to Galilee after John was put in prison. Who put John in prison? Well, that was Herod Antipas. And uh, why did he put him in prison? Because John had the courage to speak truth to power. He did that. And um, John, even though uh, the Scriptures tell us that Herod was fascinated by John, he, he was interested in him, kind of liked to hear what he said, but Herodias, the woman that basically uh, Herod stole from his brother Philip, uh, didn't like that, and she wanted, uh, she wanted John's throat. She wanted to knock his head off, and, and as we know, he did that. So, after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee. Jesus wasn't in Herod Antipas's, Herod Antipas' political area, but as soon as John died, Jesus went to that area. And it says that he was preaching the kingdom of the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's a dangerous occupation for someone in Herod's area to be preaching about a new kingdom. Uh, that that there's a new kingdom, there's a new king, and uh, Jesus put himself in a pretty dangerous situation as he did this. We'll we'll look at this uh, much later, uh, but we'll understand that Jesus was not coward by political uh, shenanigans and things that were going on, he confronted power with truth wherever it was. And um, this is interesting, though, but that Jesus went to the place where the trouble was brewing, and that's where John uh, was, was uh, executed. Now, if you go down to verse 16, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, throwing a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, I want you to think about that, because this is the first place in Mark that we encounter this. 
here these guys are out fishing all night long. Uh, they've been working, and they're here. They've got maintenance chores to do. They've got to fix nets, got to clean nets. They're, they've got to get fish out, clean fish. They've got all this stuff to do, wash the boat out, all the things that they have to do. And here comes this itinerant preacher, and he just walks by the beach and says this to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. What is it about these guys, about Jesus, that they did that? Um, by any stretch of the imagination, um, and you see this a lot with, with God and Jesus dealing with men, he's not interested in our protocol, and he's certainly not interested in what we think is responsibility. This is irresponsible from the world's point of view to do what they did, and yet there was something in Jesus' voice that caused that to happen. Now, uh, I don't know if when you got saved or when you became a Christian, if you heard that and under that kind of anointing. Um, I didn't hear it when I got saved, but when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, um, I learned how to hear from the Lord. And I would hear him in a much different way than when I first got saved and before I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But there's something about this man that when he said that, these guys followed him. So he goes on. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, the name that Jesus gave these two guys was what? Sons of Thunder. Now, they, they're probably some pretty hard-drinking, hard-fighting, hard-living guys. I imagine that they, uh, uh, they left a few knots on heads in, uh, in some of the local watering holes in their area. Uh, hard-nosed fishermen. But yet when Jesus comes along, said they left their, they left their father Zebedee, the guy had a fishing business, they just walked out on him. They didn't do anything. said they left their father in the boat. Don't you think old man Zebedee was hot at them? I think he was really hot at them. But anyway, they walked right off the job. They didn't clock out. They didn't. They had no. They executed no wisdom, uh, and they were irresponsible when they did this. Was it the right decision? I don't know. You tell me. I think we can see very quickly that it was. And don't you think that Peter, being the impetuous fellow that he is, don't you think he heard about this, saying, "Oh no, there goes Peter again. Who's this guy?" You know, and so forth and so on. So. Uh, Jesus, there's something about him that we want to follow up on, and there are things working in his life that he uses with these men that will change their lives and yours too. So let's go on to there. Now, he tangles with a man with an unclean spirit. They went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority. Again, what is it about this man that he's teaching? So, 
Uh, I'm teaching here. Let's say we got Rick Bonfim teaching over here. Uh, we could have Kenneth Copeland teaching over here. We could have your Sunday school teacher teaching over here. All four or five of us teaching. There's different anointings on each one. Okay? Some, anoint, some people have an anointing for one thing. Others have anointing for other things. But in this case right here, they, did, they said, for he taught as one having authority. What does that look like? We want to find out. Um, we want to understand that because this is a recurring theme. People recognize him. There's something in his voice that draws people to him. Now, um, are we doing that today? Uh, is that happening in your church today? Uh, when you go someplace, when you teach, uh, do people uh, take time? Uh, do they say, my gosh, this guy's got authority? Well, where did the authority come from in this case with Jesus? We all know it came from God. Okay? He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. One of the things we want to look at in Mark is how do we access that? As a believer, how do we walk in this same kind of anointing in our calling, whatever that is. It, you're not necessarily called to do the same thing that Jesus was, but you're called to do something. And I think following through the steps in this book and the things that he shows us in this book will enable us to find out what it is that we're called to do and help us go do it. So, let's look at this. For he taught them as one having authority not as the scribes. And in their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One. Now, it's very interesting, and, and um, uh, I want you to mark this verse, chapter 1, verse 25, because Jesus said to him, Be silent and come out of him. Now, the Greek word, be silent, actually means to be muzzled. It's only used two places in the New Testament, and it's used in Mark in both places. Here and in Mark chapter 4, verse 39, when Jesus calms the storm. He says, be muzzled. In the storm, he said, be quiet, be still. And uh, be quiet. But it's the same word, it's only used twice, and in both instances he's speaking to demons now Jesus rebuked him saying it's interesting that the demons know who he is but the religious people don't think on that one for a while um, the religious people did not know who he was now Jesus rebuked him saying be silent and come out and be muzzled and when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and they cried out with a loud voice, it came out of him. So, again, here's authority by Jesus. Here's authority by Jesus. Now, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? What new teaching is this? With authority, he commands even unclean spirits. Immediately his fame spread everywhere throughout the region, throughout Galilee, and I've got a note here. As Jesus walked in his calling, people followed him in droves. He was effective. As he walked in his calling, people followed him in droves. So, um, 
Next time we come back, we'll start at verse 29. Before we go, uh, I want to say a prayer. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you the next time. We'll pick it up in verse 29. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this time. We ask you that your anointing would flow through us. And those that hear this, and myself, Father, that we can walk in the anointing that you've called us to be. Help us to walk with you, Father. And thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. In boundless love and mercy, He gave His only Son, who became the sacrifice for everyone. Oh, God's mercy, so amazing me. Oh, God's mercy, so amazes me to every generation he gives the joy of his salvation oh God's mercy so amazing